I want to start a mini-series on prayer. This is going to be a chance to have a, a reality check on your prayer life. I don't know what your prayer life looks like right now, uh, whether it is you know, on a high point or whether you, it's a struggle uh, at the moment, but we're going to have a look at prayer in general terms, and you can just bring your prayer life before God with no, uh, no condemnation from God at all, only an invitation. Hopefully this is going to be an inspiration to spend more time on your knees. Now, I thought I'd start by just plugging a couple of books. There's a load of great books on prayer. There's some real classics. Uh, a couple that have really spoken to me recently, and I'm going to be dipping into these a little bit through the series. One is Mark Batterson, Circle Maker. Very good book. Um, I'm going to be sharing a little bit from that today. Um, and this really is about learning how to pray through. Pray uh, through to see answers to prayer. Um, for significant things in your life. Great book, real encouragement. And he's a good author as well. He's easy to read. And this one, Tim Keller. Who loves Timothy Keller? He's, he's a great writer as well. This guy's a genius. He, he's also so prolific. I can't believe how many books he's, he's uh, turning out. But this one's called Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. Uh, this is a classic. This is like a C.S. Lewis for our time. I want to highly recommend it. Um, and we're going to be looking more into this book in two weeks' time. Um, but yeah, do grab copies if you can. Uh, you can ask Warren Pound, I'm sure they can get them for you. Now Keller, in the prayer book, he notes in his introduction that most books on prayer fall into two categories. You've got the prophetic prayer type books, which is praying, uh, may your kingdom come on earth as, the, as it is in heaven. It's about transforming the world around us through prayer. And then you've got the books that focus more on encountering prayer. How to live in deep communion with God and walk, hearing his voice, allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to uh, move in our, in our lives and in our hearts and knowing a oneness with God. And sometimes the authors in the two camps kind of disagree about what authentic prayer should look like. So which is it? Is it world-changing prophetic prayer? Or is it soul-nourishing, encountering prayer? Which is it? Do we have to choose? I'm not all that excited about forfeiting either one of those kinds of prayer. I don't know about you. I really do want to see answers to prayer. I want to see uh, some mountains move. I want to see people blessed in my community and in my family. I want to see things that have been stuck for a long time shift. And I want to see people walk into freedom. I also want to walk through my life in intimacy with God. I want to know what it is to be a true friend of God, to enjoy his presence and to hear his voice, to have the Holy Spirit shape my character. <coughs> so I'm not giving up on either kind of prayer, no matter what the books emphasize. And thankfully, I think Jesus really got this balance right. <laughs> Jesus knew both forms of prayer very, very powerfully. He was clear, Matthew 6, 6, he says this, he says, when you pray, he says, go into your inner room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's two things I just want to bring out of that little verse from Matthew 6, 6. It's number one, spend one-to-one -one time with God. Jesus said, when you pray. He's assuming we're going to pray. 
When you pray, go into your inner room and pray to your Father who is in secret, one-to-one, between you and God. That's encountering prayer. That's enjoying the presence of God. Praying with honesty. Finding ways to pray as a conversation, not just as a shopping list. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And learning how to encounter God powerfully. It says, when you go and pray to your Father who is in secret, he will reward you. Prayer carries its own reward. And so, maybe I could ask this morning, is your prayer life rewarding? Do you find that your prayer life carries a tremendous reward in your life? Or is it a trudge at the moment? Which it can be for all of us sometimes. My prayer is that if, it, if your prayer life is like wading through treacle at the moment, that this morning you might hear something that will help you to break out into a whole new season of prayer, which is lighter and more joyful. So Jesus modelled personal encountering prayer. He took great delight in spending one-to-one time with his Father through prayer. It's sometimes funny to think that Jesus had to pray. You kind of see Jesus being so close to the Father and so in tune with the Holy Spirit. And yet he needed to dedicate time to pray, like you and I need to do. Often he, he came out of his times of prayer refreshed and renewed and at peace and with fresh direction. His prayer life was incredibly rewarding. You can read about it in the scriptures. Every time he disappears off the mountain, he comes back with a freshness and a, and a new strength. And that's the pattern that he's laid down for each of us. The disciples were so inspired by seeing what happened when Jesus prayed that they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And how did he teach them to pray to our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be his name? How did he teach them? He said, pray like this, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. In other words, pray world-transforming prophetic prayers. May your kingdom come on earth like it is in heaven. Teach me what... It is like in heaven and help me to pray in such a way that it releases that upon the earth. He told his followers to move mountains in prayers, with their prayers. That's where that that term, you know, mountain moving faith comes from. Jesus taught his disciples, if you speak to this mountain and say, go throw yourself into the sea, it will happen at your prayers. Change the landscape with the power of your prayers. He taught them to bind things up and release things in the world around them. He told them to ask for big things in his name so that God would be glorified through their prayers. That's in John 15. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus believed in prophetic, world-changing prayer and personal encountering prayer. Both flowed together in his life. Now that verse I just quoted before then, um, about the harvest, that is our verse for the year. Luke 10, verses 2 and 3. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is what we believe that God has said to us this year. The harvest is plentiful. 
God has already been at work in this area, in our families and in our workplaces. Many people are responding to him but don't know how to come any further. And so Jesus says they need to be brought in. They need help to be brought into a life-changing relationship with the Lord. And so what does Jesus say is the first thing we should do in order to bring these people into a life-changing relationship with, with God? He said you need to pray. You need to pray before you do anything else. The first thing Jesus said is, is pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest will do what? Send workers. So prayer is the first thing. It's the most necessary thing that can take place in your life. Jesus is saying without prayer, God will not receive the harvest he's looking for. Without prayer, there won't be enough people to partner with God to bring in the harvest and it will perish in the field. Without workers and without prayer. So Jesus says, pray, and pray for workers. And I love that. I love, I love the, the dynamic relationship between prayer and work in the coming of the kingdom of God. Sometimes we get these things all completely in a muddle. I think it was C.H. Spurgeon that first said, when it comes to the things of the kingdom, we've got to pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on us. <coughs> pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on us. Why? Because it's true. It's true. There are many things that God won't even begin to do without your, your and mine involvement and commitment to hard work. There are things in your life that God won't even begin to do without your commitment to hard work. There are things that you'd love to see change in your life and in your family and in your experience that God will not bless until you're willing to do the hard work. Equally, there are many things that we can't even begin to do without God's wisdom and grace and miraculous provision. So in the same way that it completely depends on us, it completely depends on him as well. Noah knew all about this. Think about it. Noah's victory. Did it depend on God? Or did it depend on Noah's hard work? What got those people through the flood? What got the animals through the, through the flood in that incredible story in the Old Testament? Both and, right? Pray like it depends on God. Work like it depends on you. The important things happen in life when both are flowing together, I believe. <coughs> That's why I get excited, actually. When, I, when we start talking about the Tartanus Christian Festival, the Tartanus Christian Festival is an arc for us. <laughs> I know that, that that idea of launching a festival and developing it is born of God. I just have absolute conviction that this is a God idea and not just a good idea. And it will be saturated with prayer. It already is. But by the time we get to it, it will be absolutely dripping with prayer, that event. And we can't do it without God. We really can't. We can't do what God has in mind for it without him. We also have to absolutely work our socks off to make it happen. There's such a lot of man hours that go in behind the scenes to make it happen. And it's worth it. And here's why. Because when one person is rescued and reconciled to Jesus, there is a party started in heaven. Yeah. And I believe that through this festival, there is great potential for starting a lot of parties in heaven. 
And I also believe that this festival has the power to contribute to widespread cultural transformation in our area as we do it year after year. In other words, there is a mighty harvest promised as, as we give ourselves to this festival. But those two elements of prayer and hard work are always going to be part of that equation. Do you understand? So it's good to focus on prayer again. In two weeks' time, I want to really focus in on encountering prayer. So how to meet God in your prayer time. How to experience God. How to dwell with God through prayer. To delight in God. And to allow God to direct your life and allow the Holy Spirit to form and shape your character over time. That kind of prayer is just so rich and so powerful. And I believe that Christians need to constantly come back and renew what it, what it is to encounter God in prayer. So in two weeks' time, we're going to look at that. But this week, I just want to inspire you and press forward in the area of prophetic prayer. Prayer that ultimately changes the world around us. <coughs> prayer that sees the kingdom come. And God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer that affects change in situations. Prayer that moves mountains. Prayer that changes the landscape, not just for our generation, but for future generations. Prayer is the most powerful tool we have in our hands. And so the first thing I want to encourage you with in this area, point number one, your prayers are irreplaceable. Rebecca, have I spelled that right? Yes. Good. <laughs> Your prayers are irreplaceable. God wants to work with you. God wants to use your prayers to make a difference. And it really is easy to feel that it's somebody else's job to pray. Somebody else's job to pray the big prayers. But you know what? The devil wants to silence you as much as possible. Why? Because he fears prayer more than anything else we do. There's a great old saying that says Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees. Yeah. And it's because when you are in the posture of prayer and you are asking God to do what you see he wants to do on the earth, there is nothing more powerful that you can do. And Satan knows it. So what does Satan do? He lies to us. He tries to convince us that our prayers are powerless and pointless. You see, when you don't believe that your prayers are powerful, then you stop trying. You just give up. And Satan high-fives the evil dude standing next to him. Satan loves it when you dry up in prayer and when you think, my prayers won't make a difference. This happens. Remember Pam, who spoke last week, Lovely Northern Pam. Remember her? She said, don't we do this? Don't we do the, this thing where we say, I don't need to go to the prayer meeting. There'll be enough people there. They don't need me. I don't need to go. And she said that your contribution is so important. And yet we say often our contribution is not so important. I'm a bit tired. I, don't, I won't be missed. They won't even notice I'm there. But God notices. God notices. Nobody can replace you. Nobody can pray like you do. Nobody can worship like you do. 
No one has that particular mix of experiences and, uh, and gifts and perspectives and passions and convictions and history with God that you do. No one has that unique place in God's heart that you have. We all do this sometimes. You all opt out. And sometimes it's the right thing to do because our bodies need to get some rest. But it's faulty thinking to think that our contribution is not important. You are irreplaceable. Your prayers are uniquely important to God. You can delegate a lot of things in your life, but prayer isn't one of them. Nor is worship. No one else can pray the prayers that God has given you specifically to pray. Here's a challenging, challenging thought. You ready? What if God wants to bring tremendous release of his blessing and he's chosen you to release it with him in prayer and he's waiting for you to join him before he'll do it? Because he wants you to experience the thrill of answered prayer and the better benefit of knowing him better in the process. What if? What if God is just waiting for you to respond to him and to pick up the prayer burden that he has specifically allocated to you and your life in this season? Now, we're not in the business of handing out guilt trips, so I don't want you to feel guilty. If your prayer life is ropey or non-existent recently, don't worry. Just shake off those negative feelings and hear the fresh invitation today. Nobody prays like you do. And God covets your prayers. He loves your prayers. He wants to meet you with love and take you on new adventures in prayer. And he's kind and he's awesome. And you are most welcome to start again. Okay? But let's not ignore this call of the kingdom to be God's faithful people of prayer. God has prayers that only you can pray. So that's the first thing I want you to take home with you. God wants to release his kingdom in and through your prayers. Your prayers. They're powerful. They're as powerful as anybody else's prayers. Point number two. God wants big and specific. Don't just pray the prayers that you can answer yourself. It's really easy to do this. I don't think God minds us praying for parking spaces. <laughs> and I don't think God minds us praying those desperate prayers when we're trying to get out the door and we can't find our mobile phone. God, where is it? <laughs> Who had it last? I think God doesn't mind that. But he also loves you to engage with the prayers that are too big for you. That prayers that only he can answer. Prayers that honour him as God. That, that place him as the one that can do the impossible in your life. That, that, that call him who he is, the God of miracles. Do you want to see miracles in your lifetime? Yeah. Do you want to see God do some impossible things in your school, in the NHS, in your family, in your business sector, in your town? Do you want to see some mountains move? I mean, you may say to me, yeah, but aid, the situation in my life is really is impossible. It just, it's not going to move. It's been stuck for years. 
There's so much that would need to change in order for the situation to turn around. We all face stuff like that. And, and our hearts sink and we think, goodness, I just can't imagine a change. Somehow we need to push through that unbelief and that uh, pessimism that we find lurking around in us sometimes. What if God were to show you that your situation, your most stubborn situation, would be completely transformed within three years if you would commit to pray? Would you do it? Would you pray for that nightmare in your workplace? Would you pray for that impossible breakdown of relationship in your family? Whatever it is. If you knew, if you could guarantee it, would you commit to pray? Could you take one step further and ask him, Lord, what will you do if I give myself to prayer over this? Ask him how you should pray. And then go for it (coughs) with faith for what he shows you. I think if we're going to go after some big transformations, we need to know that God has answered our prayer when it happens. How do you know that God has answered your prayer? You've got to get specific. What exactly needs to change, however impossible? What will be the signs that it has changed? What will be the clear sign that my prayer has been answered? We need to pray specific prayers so that we can experience the full impact of fully answered impossible prayers. It's so easy to pray woolly and vague prayers that can't be measured or tested. And they often sound quite sensitive and wise. Do you pray prayers like this? God, Lord, would you just bless my, my friend Johnny here? Oh, he's got... Lord, we, we are sad that, he's, that this tumour has been found in his leg and he's in so much pain. Lord Jesus, we're sad that it's, it, it's turned out to be malignant and not benign. Lord, it's, it's heartbreaking for us. But God, would you just give him your peace right now? And Lord, would you just surround him with a hedge of protection? What is a hedge of protection? I don't know what one of those is. Would you surround him with a hedge of protection? He needs a hedge. And God, would you just... Just may everyone be great around him, Lord. I pray there'd be great nursing staff around him. And Lord, I just, God, I just pray that his work would be really understanding where he's going to take some time off. Lord, would you just, just, just bless this guy. Amen. You know, there's nothing wrong with a lot of that. But if you're praying for someone in their 20s that's just found a malignant tumor and they've invited you to come in and pray and they're in pain, you pray for that pain to stop. And you pray for that guy to be healed. You pray that the God of the impossible would take away that tumour. What if you were to pray a prayer that was more specific, more, Lord, I pray that this pain would decrease now. I pray that whether through the doctors getting it under control or just God stepping in, Lord, may this pain decrease. The next 24 hours, let it go. In Jesus' name. What if you'd say, claim this man's life and tell the fear to disappear Stand with him, alongside him, and ask God that he would receive the all clear. And in your spirit, say, God, when will this man receive the all clear? And then pray at it. 
So even if it was, you know, you're praying for this guy in January, you say, Lord, by the end of this calendar year, Lord, may we hit this man receive the all clear and may this cancer never return in Jesus' name. And go after it with what God shows you to pray. I'm not saying that there's any formula here, but with what God shows you to pray. Pray like God is involved and he can do the impossible. I don't believe Jesus went around praying woody prayers. He went around healing people. And I think sometimes because of our unbelief, we can pray, we can be too woolly in prayer. What would happen if that guy, Johnny, or whatever we call him, gives you a call on New Year's Eve and says, I've I just, I just got to tell you. Do you remember back in January you prayed that I would get the all clear this year? You'll never guess what. I just got a letter from my consultant on my doorstep this morning. I've, I've been given the all clear for my cancer. Which one of us would not be on our faces in praise and in worship at a miracle work in God? Which one of us would not have our faith levels just go through the roof and just say, God, you are so good, and then approach the next situation with greater faith in prayer? You need to be specific. Otherwise, you don't know when you've received the answer to your prayers. And you can't receive the encouragement. So wishy-washy prayers are often a sign of unbelief. And we all do this sometimes. Specific God-honoring prayers. When you pray specifics, it's based on his ability and faithfulness, not based on your own doubt or baggage. You not only encourage the person that you're praying for, but you also speak out your faith in the Lord. And that clear prayer opens the way for clear answers. So that's the second thing. You don't get big, clear, faith-building answers to prayer without first praying big, clear, God-honoring prayers. Big and specific. Point three. I want to encourage you all to take the long view. I want to introduce you to Honey the Circle Maker. This book is based on a legend of this guy, Honey, Honey the Circle Maker, who was an eccentric sage that lived a generation before Jesus in Israel. This was a time where they'd had 400 years without having a kind of a significant prophet speaking to uh, the nation of Israel. And this guy, Honey, was a, was a bit of a legend. And we don't know all the details of his life or how accurate uh, the stories about him were, but... We're, we're pretty confident this guy existed and did some interesting things. And uh, the, the main story of his life and, and what gives the book this title of The Circle Maker came from a time when Israel hadn't seen rain for over a year. And the crops were failing, people were desperate. And in the end, the elders assembled and they came to Honey the Circle Maker. He was the only person they could think of to go to because he seemed to be a, a bit of a prophetic type. He was a friend of God. He lived a, a deep life of prayer. He was a sage. And, uh, and, they, and they asked Honey to pray. And as, as they asked him to pray, Honey took his big six-foot staff and just started to put it in the sand and started to turn. And he drew around him this circle like he was just a compass, a human compass, until it, it met. And then he put his staff down and he knelt down and he committed, I'm not moving out of the circle until we get rain in the land. 
And so he asked God with fervent, passionate prayers, God, would you please send rain on this land and on these people? They hadn't been praying for long before they felt a few spots of rain. Like Elijah up the mountain. You know, they saw first a few spots of rain and people uh, just were amazed. They came out of their houses to feel these first spots of rain. And, but Honey said, no, this is not the rain for which I have prayed. And as he prayed a second time, there was an absolute torrent of rain. Uh, and it says in the writings about him that, that there wasn't a single raindrop that was smaller than an egg. <laughs> I love that thought. But it was destructive. It was damaging uh, the fields. It was damaging the houses. And, and he, he cried out again to the Lord and said, No, Lord, this is not the rain for which I have prayed. And the rain settled down to a, just a, a gentle, ground-drenching spring rain. And of course he became a legend from this point for being the circle drawer. Um, and putting himself out there, putting his neck on the line for God. Now, there's a story about him. When he's towards the end of his life. And uh, Honey the circle maker is walking down the road. And I want to share it with you. Okay, towards the end of his life, Honey the Circle Maker was walking down a dirt road when he saw a man planting a carrot tree. Always the inquisitive sage, Honey questioned him. How long will it take for this tree to bear fruit? The man replied, 70 years. Honey said, are you quite sure that you will live another 70 years to eat its fruit? The man replied, perhaps not. However, when I was born into this world, I found many carob trees planted by my father and my grandfather. Just as they planted trees for me, I'm planting trees for my children and grandchildren, so that they will be able to eat the fruit of these trees. This incident led to an insight that changed the way that Honey prayed. In a moment of revelation, the circle maker realized that praying is planting. Each prayer is like a seed that gets planted in the ground. It disappears for a season, but it eventually bears fruit that blesses future generations. In fact, our prayers bear fruit forever. I love that. I think when we come to prayer, we need to have carob tree thinking. The idea that our prayers are an investment, not just in our generation, but in the next and the next after that. Our prayers are like seeds. They can be alive and fruitful long after we're gone. And this is true. That really resonated with me when I read that, because Mary and I are experiencing answers to prayer that are parents and grandparents prayed for yet didn't experience in their lifetime <laughs> we're enjoying the fruit of prayers that they planted years and years ago and so I've got a symbol of this this is, um, this is my family bible I'm quite glad bibles are a little bit more portable these days I wouldn't want to be lumping that around to every meeting that I go to. Yeah, it's a beastie. This was bought by somebody in my family in 1859. 
and it's been handed down through the Gascoigne line, well this far, probably won't go any further. Uh, it's been handed down, finally, to me. I didn't inherit much from my father. I inherited his tools and a few pieces of furniture and his pocket knife and his binoculars and this, this Bible. Now on my mother's side, the women have prayed for generations. But there's actually not much evidence of faith at all on my father's side, except this thumping great big symbol of faith. Somebody, somewhere, planted a seed. So I'm going to read from it. Turn to the book of Daniel. You always know you've got a good Bible when you can use an A4 bookmark. <laughs> so Daniel and chapter 6. Okay, Daniel, one of the heroes of the Old Testament. Daniel was somebody who had tremendous carob tree perspective. He knew how to take the long view. And Daniel is probably one of the most famous people in the Bible for his prayer life. Can anyone tell me what happened to Daniel? Thrown in the lion's den. Thrown in the lion's den. That's right. Why was he thrown in the lion's den? He prayed. Because he was praying. He ate vegetables. He ate vegetables. <laughs> one for the vegetarians. <laughs> why, why was he thrown in the lion's den for praying? What? <laughs> he wouldn't pray only to the king. That was the decree. So what was he, how was he caught? Praying by an open window. That was his custom. Three times a day, Daniel was committed to praying by his open window. Let's read Daniel chapter 6 and verse 9. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that is the decree that he wasn't allowed to pray, what did he do? He went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees. There three times a day he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done before. So Daniel maintained a discipline of stopping, dropping, and praying on his knees three times a day. That's impressive, right? Yeah. Especially as he had a really demanding job. He was basically a prime minister. And yet, he stopped and he prayed three times a day. Even when prayer was outlawed and punishable by a violent death. That's a fair bit coming against your prayer life, isn't it? <laughs> but you know what really gets me about Daniel's prayer life? It was his focus. He had an incredible focus about his prayer life. Let's read it. Kneeled upon his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before God. Sorry, before that. It says, he, um, 
his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem. He had a focus towards Jerusalem, which caused him to stop three times a day and pray, even when his life was at stake. Daniel was praying for the restoration of a city that he knew he wasn't going to see within his lifetime. Daniel himself prophesied that the desolation of Jerusalem would last another 70 years. And yet, three times a day, he knelt on the ground with his face towards Jerusalem and asked God for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on the earth for that part of the world. I find that amazing. I mean, be inspired. Be inspired by Daniel's focus and commitment. The relationship that Daniel developed with God not only closed the mouths of lions and brought a spiritual revolution to the majority of the known world. Daniel was given the privilege to see even further and prophesy even to the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not far-fetched to say that Daniel's prophecies and prayers were the seeds of our salvation that we will be reaping the blessings of those planted prayers until Christ returns. Wow. What a legacy. That's what I call a powerful legacy. But it can only be achieved by prayer. Daniel, with everything that was going on in his life, with all his responsibilities, living on only vegetables, <laughs> prioritised prayer three times a day because he had in, a, in his spirit he had an intuition he had an understanding in his spirit that prayer was the most powerful and important thing he could do with his life even though he knew he'd never see the answers to his prayers with his own eyes that's amazing sometimes our prayers are too few they're too small they're too vague and they're too short-sighted, I think. I want to encourage myself. And I want to encourage all of you. First, to believe that our prayers are as powerful as anybody else's. We won't go any further in prayer unless we really embrace that. Your prayers are as powerful as the most powerful other prayer that you know of in the world. I believe we need to dare to pray big, God-honoring prayers. Prayers that are beyond our ability to fix. That are holy in his camp. So maybe if you could call to mind right now, what is the most impossible things in your life that need to shift? Do you have something that needs to change? Daniel had something that he saw needed to change. And he was willing to go after it in prayer. And ultimately, God did it. What is it in your life that no matter what you give to it, it won't change it by your effort alone? But actually, you need God to do a miracle here. Is there something in your family that's been generational, that has been a dysfunction, 
that seems ingrained in your family, that other people before you have tried to fix, but without success, only God can do it. When we pray prayers like that, it honors God. When we start pressing in for what only God can do, we're praying the bigger God-honoring prayers. And dare to be specific. How will you know when your prayer is answered? What will be the signs? I will know that God has broken through when I see this. And dare to take the long view. I love the idea of us being a church that knows how to plant for the next generation. Sometimes we, we see things the way they are, stuck in the status quo, spiritually in the area, spiritually in your family, ingrained dysfunction within the area of your work or whatever. Sometimes we see things and we, we think, goodness, that's never going to change in the short term. Well, maybe not. But what if we were praying for towards five years' time? What if we were praying towards 10 years' time? What if we were praying? What if we were even sowing seeds that are never going to flourish for 100 years? God can do amazing things over a period of time that you can't quite grasp right now, but your prayers can. So let's be a church that has tree thinking. Let's extend our view and plant for the next generation. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Okay. Let's have the band up. Because we want to have a bit of time to, to worship. And let's stand. <coughs> and Morris, if you do me a favour of opening the doors, because it's a bit hot and stuff in here. Thanks. Thank you, Morris. Let's pray. Jesus. Lord, my, my hope and my belief in this prayer series is that our prayer lives would be refreshed and renewed, that we'd be inspired again. Lord, there'd be a spectrum here. There'd be people that are just absolutely loving their prayer lives, that can't wait to get alone with God again and shut the door and be alone with you. They can't wait to get to the prayer meeting because they can't wait to see some massive things change. Yeah. That are fired up and passionate about prayer. There'll be people here that are just thoroughly addicted to your presence. And life is a joy. And it's like a mountaintop time. And there'll be people here <coughs> that have struggled. There'll be people here that, that have had the enemy put guilt, heap guilt on because you, can't, you, you haven't found time to pray in the way you used to. And everything in between. Lord, I just pray that we'd be able to turn to you afresh, all of us. And I pray that your spirit would just blow through. I pray, Lord, you just blow through and clear away all uh, dustiness in prayer, all stagnation in prayer, all guilt. I pray you just blow it away in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and you are. Lord, I pray we feel your warm, welcoming smile once again into your presence. And Lord, where some of us may have got prayer fatigue, we've carried things, we've prayed big prayers, but maybe we've given up. 
Lord, I just pray for a clean start. I pray for a freshness. I pray that you, if it pleases you, that you would give us those prayer burdens again, to go again. And I pray that there'd be a fresh spirit of prayer blowing upon this congregation. Because we want to pray like it depends on you. Yeah. And not just work like it depends on us. And through you, Lord, and in partnership with you, as we walk with you, we want to see mighty transformation, both in our generation and in generations to come. We lean heavily upon you. And we trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.